Hello and welcome to Lady Time. Stick the kettle on, make yourself a cuppa, and come and join me, your host, Jill McGregor, with my guest this evening, Evan McCann. Evan is originally from County Donegal in Ireland. She's 47 and has one adult daughter. She's the former executive director of Galway Rape Crisis Centre, and she now lives in Galway, where she writes fiction, non-fiction, and the occasional poem. Her work has been published in literary journals in Ireland, the UK, Italy, and the US. Her work has been anthologized by Pankhurst Press UK, New Binary Press, Ireland House, Dura, and Prospero in Italy. Her short stories have been long listed for the Column Tobin 2019 competition, the shortlisted for Words on Waves 2015, and in the Sunday Business Post, Penguin Ireland 2018, as well as Courch New Writing 2019, and she came second in the Maria Edgeworth and Docky Creates 2019. She was awarded the Tyrone Guthrie Residency for Galway City Council for 2018. Even is currently working on her first collection of short fiction and a comedy series. You're very welcome, uh, Even, and thank you for being brave enough to be my very first guest on Lady Time. Um, I thought maybe we would start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe what sparked your passion for writing. Um, I always loved reading. So my dad says that when I was about three, I just went marching around the place with books, uh, pointing at words and saying, what is this word? So I learned to read. And then by the time I got to primary school, I was reading like Famous Five. So I just got put in the corner reading books. So I kind of learned to just be alone with books, I think. And um, I liked, I think I fancied my English teacher. So I wrote <laughs> some good short stories when I was in secondary school and got on very well. And, um, you know, I, like all teenagers, I wrote poems about boys that I loved or something and how miserable I was that they didn't love me. And then um, I wrote, you know, I, when I was at college and stuff and I moved to Galway, worked for a theatre company, I wrote poems and I had some published and I got some, you know, I won a competition um, in what was at the time Galway Edge, but um, it closed down when I won. So I was supposed to win a £50 Kyohans voucher, Kyohans the bookshop. And at the time, that was 95, 50 quid was a lot of money and a lot of books. But uh, they shut down, so I never got my 50 quid. And um, But anyway, I got fame on the front of the Galway Edge, I think it was called uh, at the time. So that was fine. And then I actually got married and I had my daughter quite young. And I um, kind of just stopped writing poems. I, You know, I had a baby. I was a very hands-on mother. I breastfed. I was really into continuum parenting and you know, really the kind of misery left me, I suppose. And um, I stopped writing poems. I wrote them now and again, if they came into my head. So I didn't write for a long time, but it was always in my head, kind of, I suppose. Oh, and yeah, and then when my daughter was born and I went down to the um, registry office, I lived in London at the time, and they asked me, you know, what's your occupation? And I didn't want to say, I temp in an office or something. So I said, I'm a writer. And your mom's like, oh, wow, you're a writer, cool. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I am, yeah, I'm a writer. 
So it actually says it on my daughter's birth cert. So I had to do it then, you know. Uh, once I say something, I'll do it. But anyway, then didn't write for a year. I wrote now and again, bits and pieces, you know. Um, I still was involved in kind of theater and drama and stuff like that. Uh, then I suppose when my daughter went to school, then I decided, well, now I have time to do something. So I basically decided when I was 30 that I better do something. So I, every day I dropped off at school, I sat down and I wrote, and I wrote a novel, which was published not for years later, actually, it was not published till 2018. So I wrote a novel in 2004 and I kind of just left it. I, sometimes I'd look at it because again, I was working, I was a full-time mother. I was very involved in politics as well. And I've always worked in charities. So that's kind of full on. Um, you know, so there was I lot on, so I probably neglected the writing. And I think that's the thing about getting older. You just start saying, no, hold on, what about me? So that's what I want. So I think in 2013, I got a, a from the Sting and Fly, it's a literary magazine, I got a grant to get a mentor. And the mentor was Mike McCormick, who's a very well-known author. But Galway being Galway, I knew him anyway. Everyone knows everyone in Galway. And he helped me finish my novel and send it off. And it was actually published. And then when I when he I got a bit of encouragement for him, so I started writing short stories, which I hadn't written since school. And that was in 2013. And I've been writing nonstop ever since. So I wrote a lot of short stories, finished the novel, started writing a comedy series with two friends of mine. That was really good fun. Uh, the occasional poem as well. You know, it started getting anthologized and into competitions and got a lot of readings because, as you can tell, I love talking and showing off which is why I agreed to be your first guest. In fact, I just banged on your door until you agreed to interview me. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, you know, I, I got a lot of readings and a lot of stuff published and I still work full time in charity, but I, my daughter was older then as well. So, you know, at this stage, God, what age is she now? She's 23. So I suppose this is when she's 16. So really, you know when someone's 16 they have kind of you've done your work and they don't really need your much of your attention anymore of course they still do need some and um yeah just really and then i started um taking time out for myself like really uh going away to write um you know really concentrating on it and you know actually applying for stuff so i got the tyrone guthrie bursary which i honestly think changed my life i went away for two weeks just to write and it was quite scary but it was fantastic and that's where i met my current writing partner who is a woman from paris uh well she's american but she lives in paris so we're writing a comedy series. Um, I've put together a short story collection, which I would hope to get published. And currently my main issue is the recording of my comedy series. So that should be happening in September. So that's a lot. So that's me. Um, I do have a day job, but my main focus and is writing. Um. That's great. And has uh, midlife changed or affected the way that you write? I mean, moving into that process, has it changed the way you wrote? Do you feel you write better or 
was it different to your earlier years? Um, I think I have more patience than I used to have. I have more time. I have more space. So my daughter's moved out now. So I actually have her bedroom set up as my writing room. Um, and it has a view of the bay, which is nice. So, yeah, I think it's giving yourself time and also confidence. You know, I think when you get to 40, you kind of go, oh, look, you know, I'm not, you know, you're not that worried about how people see you or, you know, you're not as self-conscious. And I do think writing is like a muscle. You have to keep at it and have, give it the time and sit down and do it. And if you do that and you keep doing it, you get better and you start being more, I suppose you've less to worry about. So you're more able to be self-reflective. You've an awful lot of experience. A piece of advice Mike McCormick gave me when we did the mentorship, he said, even like you've lived a lot of life, uh, you've done a lot of jobs, you've lived in different places, you use that experience. So you do, you become less conscious as well about, I think when you're younger, you're very conscious about what people think about or judging you or going, oh my God, if I use that story, they'll know that I'm talking about them. And then when you get older, you just don't care. Do you know what I mean? You are, I, I, you're probably still respectful of people and their stories, but um, you know, I've lived a lot of life. So I write about that and um, I like to laugh. So again, I found a writing partner who I can really have a really good laugh with. So that's great. And um, yeah, it, I think it's confidence and just, this is what I want to do. And you have to ask yourself, why am I writing? Am I writing? You're not writing for the money and the fame, really. Because even my friends who are writers who are really well known and have published a lot still have, don't know anyone who's living off it, you know what I mean, exclusively. So it, you do have to just love doing it and enjoy doing it. Um, and I think the older you get, the less motivated you are by, uh, you know, fame or money or that kind of stuff you know it'd be nice if it came along but you, you know it's um you're more established in your own life and you're uh probably going out a lot less as well which probably helps <laughs> um have, did you find uh when you started to move into that space where you were a lot more comfortable with yourself um did it improve did did you write did you write differently did you write different stories did you write about different people or how how did it play out with actually in your writing itself um i think the more i wrote so i suppose i really you know i wrote that novel when i was 30 um it wasn't pub published until i was 45 um but you know i really started writing the short stories when I, in 2013 and short short stories tend to be quite dark now my novel's quite dark anyway but um i think you can mine your past more the older you get because you're more distant from it and it doesn't hurt as much so i think i mine a lot of my past for short stories and general writing um, with the comedy, I think that's a lot of just years of observation and watching people 
and all the different people you've met and kind of amalgamations of those. Because I think the older you get, the more you start realizing, um, especially in the workplace, what I've noticed is, you know, I've, I've been a senior management for, you know, 12 years or more. And it's, you know, I've moved to three different charities in the last 12 years. And it's like the same people work everywhere you go. There's this person and that person and, there's, you know, it's like tropes or something, you know, not to be horrible, but there are certain types of people and whether you want to call it family systems or whatever, you keep meeting the same people. And I think you can bring that into your writing because you know what is a character, you know, what, because no one is all bad and all good. And, you know, it's that... Um, Realizing, I suppose, we're all human and being more reflective of yourself as well and really, real, accepting that your shadow as well. I'm very into, you know, that I think the further you run from the shadow or the darkness in yourself, the more likely it is to come out. So it's something I've read a lot about and I would look at. And I think I've accepted, I think I was always trying to be a really good person or something. And I the more you try to be a really good person, I think the less you are in some ways, because you, you're kind of in denial. Because um, we're, all, we're all, we all have, we all do awful things. Do you know what I mean? And we all have a temper and we all are angry about things or sad about things or we're irrational. And certainly when I have PMT, I am really not a very nice person. Well, maybe I'm less tolerant of things and I, I'll take, you know, I won't take as much guff from people so um but i'm more accepting of that now and i think the more you accept it actually probably the better it gets and probably the easier you are in a way you know so that all comes into my writing as well self-awareness um observation and just life experience is you know comes into your writing and then i read an off used to be in the book club with me and I had to leave because there was never a book that I hadn't read so you didn't have anything to choose and that's um, right I got really angry when people didn't read the book (laughs) (laughs) that's right actually yeah because we list off this book no even's read it another book no even's read it oh no read it read it read it oh we're never going to get a book um but you know uh what i was uh, interested in uh just when you said it about going into that dark place because it's a place i've had to go into myself going through hmm. uh, menopause and you're in Mary perimenopause aren't you um do you, uh, could you yeah. expand a bit on going into the dark place if you'd like to um i think you know, often we dismiss people and, you know, I've, I've, you know, hormones or whatever. And I think I've read a lot. I'm very into Christian Northrup. I've had women's bodies, women's wisdom. I bought it twice and I've lost it twice by lending it to somebody. Two different people and they wouldn't give it back to me. So I have to buy it again. And I listen to her a lot on Hay House and stuff. And I think that um, you, it's so, it, 
that thing of women are socialized in such a way it's like oh she has her oh she's pmt oh she's in a bad mood but she very much says no that's the time you're just not tolerant and a lot of it has to do with the hormones that are required to be a mother or potentially be a mother or be a nurturer or whatever and then i think when you know just before your period you're not going to you know apparently you, your body knows it's not pregnant so you don't have to be nurturing so you're just a bit like yeah whatever and i think the older you get the less you are trying to please people and nurture them so you you know but i i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's um you know i think in society we've been socialized as women like even like women with aspergers are way way less likely to ever be diagnosed because women with aspergers and who are on the autistic spectrum still are able to kind of please people and be kind and you know be more social because women are trained to be social people pleasers to a certain degree um i think that's going as well i think life has really changed as well since i was younger you know i think um i really admire a lot of the stuff that younger women are noticed. I mean, look at the referendum. I mean, amazing. I never thought we would see in Ireland in our lifetime. I never thought we'd see gay marriage in a heartbeat. I never thought we would actually have the right to have an abortion. It's quite amazing because obviously I grew up in an Ireland where people had to go to England. People had to hide their sexuality. Um, you know, Ireland has really, really, really changed. It's like a different place, really um so there's a lot of that but yeah the darkness i suppose it's an acceptance that you don't have to please everyone you don't have to be all things to all people you can be really angry about things and that's okay um i've noticed it a lot recently with parents of younger children like they're always trying to be reasonable and calm all the time and i think people have to know that you, it's okay to be angry. Do you know what I mean? And that it's okay that people annoy other people. And as long as you don't stay angry or, you know, be unreasonable or be violent or whatever, do you know, but I think you can say, look, I really don't like this. Do you know what I mean? And I think, um, but I suppose the shadow is accepting that sometimes we do wish people horrible things you know um sometimes we do think of really dark horrible things sometimes we like looking at hor horrible dark things um i mean look at the amount of people who buy murder books i hate them and i'm too scared of them but um you know people watch all this violent stuff on tv and all this but like so we are attracted to that kind of darkness i think um I, because I worked at the Ray Crisis Center for 15 years, I worked with kind of the worst of darkness. And people used to always ask me what it was like to work there. And they were like, oh, it must be awful. And um, it's not. Actually, everyone who works there wanted to be there. Like nobody's mother or careers advisor said, you know what you should do? You should work in the Ray Crisis Center. That is exactly, I've done your psychometric test. And well really yeah that's that's the career for you everyone who was there wanted to be there everyone in there was very passionate about stuff and actually 
people you had to learn to cope with it so we had to have a lot of supervision you had to do self-care you absolutely we, we actually were forced to do self-care forced to take time out and reflect on things and i worked with asylum seekers i was asylum seeker support worker for three years the darkest stuff you could hear people come i had a lot of clients from congo horror show like you know the stuff you'd hear but those women god you know we you know i learned so much from them because um yeah really bad stuff happens to you but you know and it's awful and people have post-traumatic stress they, they are living their lives and they're humans and they get up and go on with things and i suppose it's just living with darkness accepting darkness and accepting that actually ireland is actually quite a nice place to live and um yeah, you know, um, I've read a lot about the Jungian stuff and whatever, and it's just that kind of not judging or trying to push away the darkness, sort of sitting with it and saying, yeah, well, okay, I do wish that Donald Trump would get COVID. That's not very nice, but, you know, that's what I think. I do wish John Walters would get COVID or John Waters, whatever his name is, and Gemma Doherty. You know, that goes through my head. I go, I hope you get COVID. And I hope, you know, and that's all right. You know, I, I didn't go and give them COVID. Do you know what I mean? I just thought it. Um, and, you know, I do, I think I got into the, you know, I read The Secret and I read Louise Hay and I think that's great. I love that positivity stuff because I think, especially as Irish women, we can get very negative down on ourselves. Who do you think you are? You know, um, you were told to kind of keep it down, you know, but I think... Yeah, you know, there's so much. I don't think you can be positive all the time in your brain. And I try and think of good outcomes. But sometimes I think it's fine to say, yeah, I am really angry. And yeah, I do, you know, I do want to, I am fascinated by this or whatever, you know, that's, I think that's fine. But it's the accepting it, maybe writing is is very good for that writing you write about the darkest dark. i mean everyone who reads my writing goes oh my god that is so dark it but is dark actually, yeah but very funny as well <laughs> there's a lot of humor in your writing too mm. i do think that's the thing that that's a way of channeling darkness as well mm. and it's a very donegal thing you're from donegal as well so i do <laughs> think donegal people are very very dark but very funny about being dark and sometimes Galway people aren't as dark and some I know that I did have to tone it down when I came, came here. <laughs> I, never thought, I never thought of that but it's true I, I like really dark humor as well and very sarcastic dark um, kind of humor and you definitely have that in your writing so that's probably why I roared laughing when I read your book and equally uh, cried as well in parts of it too you know you really can capture the the extremes of, of that um, do have you found that going through you're in perimenopause now is it or are yeah. you fully into it? have you found that it's uh, been have you found it easy to talk to other women because I didn't have very many people to talk to when I went through it. And so I'm interested to know, is that changing? 
or do women in general talk to each other about that? Because I didn't find that at the time. I think it's changing now, but only in the last couple of years. So mm -hmm. I went into perimenopause, I'd say when I was about, uh, about four years ago, I started getting heart palpitations and I had to go on a heart monitor and they found nothing and they just put it down to kind of perimenopause. And then um, I always had some gynecological problems. So I had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I had some ovarian cysts. I had a polyp. Um, I had irregular periods and that kind of thing. So the things that the thing that helped me was natural things like acupuncture and homeopathy. Um, they're the things that helped me the most. And kind of I actually ended up with very regular periods and the polycysts have gone. And, you know, I think I just stumbled upon these things and gave them a go and they did work for me. So I think when you attend natural health care, they listen to what you have to say. So when you talk to your homeopath, you talk to your acupuncturist, they listen to you and say, when you say, whereas a doctor, I know when I was 21 or two, I was get, I always had very irregular periods. And I went to a doctor and I said, I think I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And she said, let me examine you. Now, there's no way on earth if you internally examine someone, you can know whether they have polycystic because they're very small dots on the ovary. And she said, you don't have it. You've got your hypochondriac. Um, so I left that doctor. I had the wherewithal to leave. And I went to another doctor and she sent me immediately to the hospital. They did an ultrasound and found out that I did a polycyst because I'd read about it. And I think if you read about stuff and you ask, and that's some, I think doctors, they see you for a much shorter window of time. They don't always listen. And you don't always get to choose your doctor. It's not the same way you would choose an alternative healthcare practitioner. Because when you choose an alternative health practitioner, you're looking at, you usually get a recommendation from someone. Um, so, and then you get an awful lot more time with them. So you get to talk about all these things. So I think I did talk to practitioners, but never really my friends, um, about this kind of stuff, some friends, but not really. And then when I started getting the perimenopause, I think is funny because I had to have a heart monitor for three days and I went to Nocton's with my friends and they just used it to get a booth. They went, she's got a heart condition. Would you mind? <laughs> <laughs> please. So that was, that was me talking to my friends about that. Um, and then in the last year or so I've had like extremely heavy periods like flooding. And what I noticed then is in the last year or so, and maybe it's just where I'm working now. I work for a, partnership company that's based in rural Galway I've never worked in the country before and I do now I live in the city but I work in the country in various parts of the county and the islands and I find actually the women there would be much more willing or maybe it's their age I don't know um or maybe things have changed but everyone is talking about flooding in their period a lot of people have got the coil, they recommend it, they say it helped them. So I noticed that recently, maybe women of this age talk about it. But funny, my cousin called around on Sunday and I hadn't seen her and I can't, I don't know what age she is. She's maybe 10 years younger than me. She's in her late thirties, mid to late thirties. Mm 
and I have my period today which is another reason why I appeared on your show today you went he's got a period come on you did your period radar and I was just about to get my period on Sunday it's extremely regular now and I was saying it to her, I said, oh, you know, it's great working from home at the moment because I'm at the stage in my life where I cannot go through a day at work now when I have my period without having to go home and change or bring a change with me or make sure I'm wearing a very long jumper or something. Uh, and she said, what? I never heard about that. She, no one had ever told her that, that that was a thing. And I said, no, no, it is. You know, So I found recently I'm talking to the women and work about it because I suppose it's obvious maybe that I'm, you know, I'm going, oh my God, like I really, excuse me, but I have to go and change again or something like that. Or So recently in the last year, I have found that people are talking about stuff like that, you know, whereas previous to that, they weren't. They might say, I, I, I think I've always talked to women about PMT. Like you always say, oh my God, I am in such a bad mood or I had a go at such and such or God, don't talk to me about that. I've got PMT or you might get a spot on your face and you'd be like, oh, this is my PMT spot. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, I think it is changing. I don't know. Is it the age that women are just, they less care and they talk more about stuff or are people in general talking more? But even the fact that like, in ads for periods you know there's blue ink it's kind of stupid you know what i mean so i think yeah but i i think it's we're talking about it a bit more yeah i i've definitely found that and it was interesting what you said about uh, country women because a few years ago when i worked as a massage therapist I find that the country women were far, and I'm from the country myself, like you are, okay. and uh, I find that they opened up an awful lot more. They would talk a lot more about stuff than generally city people, but that was just my experience. Maybe because you're from smaller communities and you know you know people a bit better and you know who you can can trust and, and that. Um, yeah. How, how do you feel about uh, aging, uh, not to say not youthful, but being still having that youthfulness in, inside, but how do you feel about it? Do you like it or, um, yeah, do you like it? In a lot of ways I do because I think that I don't care as much about how I look and I think I spent a lot of time. I remember thinking I'd I'd cellulite when I was 17. Me and my friend were talking about it. We were like, oh my God, I thought I had cellulite. And I'm looking at myself and I'm like, Jesus. You know, I wish I knew how good looking I was when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? But I kind of was going around covering myself, you know, and trying to hide my thighs or something. And Jesus, now what and I would give to have those thighs. But... um yeah i don't care as much how i look i don't care as much and socially distancing is brilliant because you don't even have to shave your legs so you can <laughs> want <laughs> that's what I, or do your cash you know what i mean so, stuff like chin hair is pretty annoying um you know it's springing up all over the place um but i suppose you don't care as much mm -hmm. and uh 
I cut off all my hair recently. I went gray this year. I went gray in January, cut my hair short. Well, um, I can cut in there on you even because I will uh, tell our listeners the first time I saw even was, I don't know, 25 years ago. It was the early yeah. 90s, right? She didn't, we didn't know each other then. Even is six foot two, a tall Amazonian, like a beautiful looking woman. And my jaw just dropped when I saw her for the very first time. She was, abs- I thought she should have been on the cover of Vogue or on the catwalk in Paris for absolute sure. And she still looks amazing. And I can say that your short haircut is stunning. And even with it going gray, so it's stunning. So uh, I just have to let the listeners know that <laughs> that you are go, uh, you are aging very, very gracefully indeed. You know? But um, again, like I was going to hairdressers, and I had Bob really up until January, mm-hmm. or most part of it. And a number of times over the last few years, I said, "I yeah, just cut it off." no no god no you wouldn't want to do that no no that wouldn't suit you no 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 people would think you didn't care anymore oh wouldn't suit. oh wouldn't look good at all and then so when i i had to change hairdressers i think three times the second one cut i said well i want to dye it blonde then so i can go toward gray and my hairdresser at the time said no young woman would not do it said actually it couldn't be done so I went to another hairdresser. He did dye it blonde and he cut it shorter, but still not short. And then I had to change hairdressers again. And even when I, you know, and she went, okay, are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And it's funny people's reaction when they see you, they kind of go, oh my God, it actually suits you. Do you know, God, I wouldn't be brave enough to do that now. Oh, it wouldn't suit me or whatever. And you just go, it's funny people's reaction because, and you know what? I'm just really lazy as well. I can be bothered to be dying <laughs> hairdressers and all this, you know. But I, I really, really enjoy it. It's a huge sense of freedom in it because I had my hair this short when I was in my early twenties. That's and, right. Um, yeah, it's it's um it's lovely. Yeah, it's a beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, and I can't even remember your bob now. It's so beautiful the way that it is, you know. Um, do you miss anything about youth? I mean, do you dress differently? I mean, we all dress differently. Yes. Um, I miss that. What did you miss anything about uh, youth or the way you might have dressed or any of that? I miss having a flat stomach. um because stuff doesn't sit as well you know what i mean and um i was much i i think i've put on weight in the last few years um you know i find it much easier to stay you know maintain my weight when i was younger um I miss dancing. I miss going out dancing. I love dancing. And I think there's way less opportunities to do that. The older you get, you only get to dance at a wedding. Mm. And that's a shame. So I love, love dancing. Um, I miss, I miss going out dancing a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you dance in your kitchen? Yeah, I do. You do dance in your kitchen. Yeah. It's not the same. No, not at all the same. Uh, no, none of our mockness parties either to let loose at. 
<laughs> but I started writing about it recently. You started about writing dancing. about writing about dancing. Oh, okay. Um, the last couple of that stories. Just that thing of dance when when you dance and you kind of get lost in the strobe lights. So I have a story in the Sting and Fly Galway 2020 edition coming up, and I'm actually got the edits today, which I have to do next week. And um, that was a lot. It starts out when the woman is thinking about dancing the night before. Do you know what I mean? And just that thing of the DJ and a DJ would come and you would just dance all night and you would be, you were gone. You were gone, you know, you, your body took over your mind, you know, and you just, that thing. And it was, you know, and then I had a story published in Galway Stories 2020, the Dura in that came out in January. Um, and again, that was about that. It was about kind of, there was a bit in it, you know, because you always take bits and pieces of your own experience into stories and whatever. And I I, I, I tried to write about it, uh, just that freedom you feel when you dance and the kind of, um, the part when you're not, you're gone, you're, you've gone dancing, you know, you, you know you're, yeah, you, you know, you've kind of nearly gone into the lights. Yeah, it is incredible that what you say about dancing where you really can lose yourself and it's a pity that we can't uh, get the opportunity to dance more with lots of people because yeah. that's, that's half of it, isn't it? It's like it is. in a crowd and lost in the crowd and dancing and losing yourself. Um, even what would you think say has been your greatest achievement or what you're most proud of? Or maybe there's more than one thing. Because you've done a lot of things. I have done a lot of things. Um, I, I like, I, I'm very proud of the relationship I have with my daughter. She's 23. Um, I, she's, you know, she's a fun human being. We get on very well. She's very funny. Um, you know, we can talk a lot. So that's good. Um, I am proud of my novel. I am proud of, of most days, most days, I suppose. I'm proud of, I, I think I've done, I'm proud of the work that I've done on myself. You know, I've been to a lot of counseling. I've done a lot of alternative work on myself and I constantly do that, you know, and um, I suppose I'm proud of my work in the Red Crisis Centre as well. That was kind of my, you know, the longest I ever worked anywhere. Um, and I loved working there, I loved the women there. And, you know, the clients are amazing. Yeah, that was amazing work to do. So, yeah, I'm proud of a lot of the stuff I did in my professional life, in my personal life, and then, then in my creative life, you know, so... But I don't think I'm done. You know what I mean? I've loved, I love the comedy I'm writing at the moment. I really love it. It just really makes me laugh. Even like I was doing edits last night and I was laughing at it. Um, and today we were auditioning. I was, you know, listening to audition tapes of, um, you know, we had to really you know, go looking for an actor of Chinese origin, an Irish you know based uh person 
of Chinese origin to play a particular part. And I had to go on Twitter and I had to go on Facebook to find someone. So I found, I put someone on Facebook the other night and I got three, two. I, I was just, before I came on, I was listening to an edition tape. Um, and yeah, it's amazing to listen to someone wanting to be involved in your work um, and hearing it back by actors, you know, and actually we did a reading of the, um, I have another reading in the 1st of August of all the six episodes of the comedy, but um, we read the first episode in back in June, I think, um, on, on a Zoom with some of the actors and hearing them read back your stuff is amazing, mm. you know, and then they're laughing away to themselves when they're reading, you know, so that's a good yeah, that, sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's an achievement. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of achievements and stuff I'm proud that I did. So I don't think like, you know, I don't think the speech for my funeral will be too dull. <laughs> Anyway. No, it, it certainly won't. And I hope that won't be for a very, very long time. Um, <laughs> you became a vegan as well. In fact, all of you, your whole family, you're all of you, you and yeah. your husband and your daughter are all vegans now. Um, yeah. You're quite passionate about veganism as well. And it probably helped you a lot through with all the symptoms uh, as well of going through yeah. perimenopause and helped all of that too. Um, did you want to say yeah, a bit about veganism? Well, I'm, you know, I'm really into it. And I was always a very fussy eater, mm. even as a child. Because once when I was a child, I was always, yeah, I didn't. My dad had two guns and he shot and he fished. So in our garage, there was always something hanging up, a rabbit or something. And then he takes fishing. And in the bath, there was always an eel and a lobster and a fish and a this. Because, you know, I come from a fishing place. So people right. would drop stuff off. You know, the, you know, having salmon in Donegal is not a big deal in any way. It's kind of actually be like, oh, God, I'm salmon. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I suppose I saw that as a child and I remember going fishing. And the thing is, people think fishing is this hobby or whatever. But, like, we went fishing with my dad and you'd have to bludgeon the fish to death when they came, came on the boat. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I remember him hitting the heads um, off fishing whatever. Um, but funny, he said I was the only one of my sisters who could look at it. Oh, Do you know right. what I mean? My sisters would look away and I would look at it. So um, that was always, and I remember thinking, a rabbit, I couldn't eat it because you'd see, you know, rabbits, then you'd see them running around outside and all this. So, but I came from a house and I think we all did in the, brought up in the 60s, or, I, I was born in the early 70s. You ate what you were given end story. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you had to eat what you were given and it was quite a meat-based, fish-based diet. Um. But I started eating less and less meat. I too, my sister above me and my sister below me are both vegetarians since they were um, teenagers, but I wasn't a vegetarian. But I didn't eat that much meat and um, that kind of went on. And then I got to the stage where I stopped eating meat that I didn't know where it was from. So I was always quite fussy eater. And then I found when I was going to a restaurant, I was saying, but I don't eat this and I don't eat that. And I never liked dairy products ever, ever, ever since I was a child. Always hated them. They always made me feel sick. 
So I, in fact, if I wanted a day off school, I used to drink a glass of milk. And then, so I never liked dairy. And I think dairy is the, so I'd go to a restaurant and say, but I don't like dairy and I don't like this and I don't like that. So they'd nearly be going, oh, you're such a pain. And then I'd go to people's house and I'd be the same and in my own house. And I never had milk in the house. My daughter never liked milk either. So I think dairy is the hardest thing to cut out apparently because it's quite addictive it's made for baby cows so that they'll come back for more um and then i got to the point where i couldn't eat meat anymore i just i couldn't even i can never eat much meat anyway but i couldn't eat it and then i started reading about it and then about seven years ago i think i was down to just free range eggs and then i stopped eating them and so i went vegan and it was actually much easier in a lot of ways you go into restaurants and say I yeah I'm a vegan so even though and that again is a huge change in society it's going up I think year to year it's gone up by 135 percent a year or something like that you know it's rapidly rapidly growing movement and I think there is a cognitive dissonance in eating meat and dairy and then when you remove that I actually think your mind is much clearer because nobody could think about the reality of killing an animal and eating meat and it causes an awful lot of diseases as well um you know so i think if you really really were honest with yourself and thought about that and had to watch maybe a cow being killed or something i don't think anyone would eat it so i think when you remove that layer of cognitive dissonance because you couldn't eat meat if you really thought about it so I think then when you remove that and you're not, you don't have to think about that or block that out. I actually found my mind was an awful lot clearer. And then obviously my digestion was a lot better. So I think that leads to much clearer thinking. So strangely, I put on weight. Um, but, you know, I'm still not particularly overweight or anything, but, you know, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really, and then I went vegan and, then my daughter went vegan just after me, but she never ate much meat either. And then I think my husband just did as well. He just kind of gave into it. And now he's opened a vegan delicatessen in Galway. So he got really hardcore into it. He always loved cooking and she loved cooking, whereas I can cook, but I couldn't be bothered. It's not a thing that I find particularly pleasurable. Uh, I just hungry and I eat. I wouldn't care what it was. I don't care if it's King Crisps or if it's a salad. I, you know, it's just food. So, um, but, and also I think you do uh, eat less rubbish in the, in the end. Because if you work in a workplace, someone's always bringing in a cake or biscuits or someone's birthday or something, something, and you pick it up and you eat it. When in the Ray Crisis Centre, someone was always dropping it in a box of chocolates. And actually, you can't, just eat anything you have to actually think about what where you're going to eat and what you're going to eat so i would really really recommend it even you know to anybody i think it's um for me and also i have very severe dust allergies i've always had them since i was a child and it's really lessened them because you produce way less phlegm without dairy so um and i don't know you know will it help or hinder the perimenopause process into menopause I don't know but I know that I personally feel much better mentally and physically since I went vegan um 
I do go on about it though. You will have to stop me because I just go on. And then I work in um, a development company in, in rural East Galway. And I have two of my colleagues are beef farmers. And um, that's funny because. That is funny. It is funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes will cook vegan myself. I'm mostly vegetarian, as you know, uh, but it's not a big step. It's not a really big step to move from cooking vegetarian to veganism. Uh, but it is quite hard to leave out the dairy when you love the dairy as well. Mm. Um, but yeah. Oh. I think that if Donald Trump took over Ireland and the world and said, and he hates vegans, he yeah. said, you know, you can't be a vegan anymore. I would actually be more likely to eat beef than I would to drink milk because I think ultimately it's crueler to keep an animal alive to feed off it like and they killed them anyway at the end of the milk thing and you know they pumped them full of hormones you know there's cows up the back of us because we live on the same very long road and like they can hardly walk their udders are dragging down to the you know the grass and i don't think that could be good for women they're giving them um all kinds of hormones so that would concern me that would be another reason i think why i stopped I think dairy is particularly bad for that. Yeah, no, it, it's very good to uh, hear about things like that, especially if you are interested in veganism and it is a lot healthier as a diet as well. But as you say, um, it, it, quicker to eat beef than to have the dairy. I, I hadn't thought of that. So um, that's yeah. interesting. Even it's been a real pleasure talking to you. <laughs> It really has, as always, it's always a pleasure, but it's a, a pleasure in this way as well. And before, uh, before we finish up, have you got any nuggets of wisdom that you would pass on to the generation coming up behind us? Particularly the um, women. Just, yeah, you, you know, you really are tomorrow you're going to look older than you do today so just you know put on the bikini and just you know go down the beach you know you, you know or, or go to Lanzarote because everyone's so old there you're always the babe you know so that's another tip holiday in Lanzarote <laughs> enjoy your youth and enjoy all your looks while you have them <laughs> yeah yeah well, thank you so much, Evan, um, and thanks to all our listeners as well. Um, uh, we'll sign it out now, but we'll catch you at the next episode. Thanks a million. Bye.